Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming resilience expert Anne Grady. Anne's a best-selling author, two-time TEDx speaker, trainer, survivor, optimist, inspirer, and truth bomb dropper. Anne has a master's degree in organizational communication and has spent the last 20 years working with some of the largest organizations around the globe. She's become known as a leading expert on communication, leadership, emotional intelligence, and resilience, contributing to Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur, Fast Company Inc. magazine, Fox Business, many more. In her first book, 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work, and provides practical strategies to improve relationships, increase productivity, and reduce stress. In her most recent book, Strong Enough, Choosing Courage, Resilience, and Triumph, Anne draws from her personal life experiences that touch the hearts and minds of audiences, helping them use adversity as a catalyst to grow strong enough. Learn more at AnneGradyGroup.com. Welcome, Anne. Thank you for having me, Cheryl. Uh, I appreciate two things. One, your your clear um, writings on resilience and how to cultivate it. Thank you for that. Um, but also that you're willing to uh, talk personally about why you needed such a thing as resilience in the first place, because I think that really does... Um, deepen the message when you're speaking from your own experiences. So thank you for that willingness. Of course, vulnerability actually is a resilience building strategy. So I am just trying to practice what I teach. <laughs> Essential, isn't it? Yes. And let's And let's start there because uh, I, I don't know, I couldn't tell from reading the book whether you started this work before you had your son Evan, or after, uh, can we can we talk about Evan a little bit just to start out with? Sure, sure. So I was a I got a master's in organizational communication and was a corporate trainer uh, before I had Evan, and so I was training organizations on communication and leadership and soft skill topics that are really the hard stuff. And then I got pregnant, and I knew something wasn't right. Um, very difficult pregnancy, got put on bed rest. Um, Evan would literally kick me so hard I would drop to the ground. His doctor joked he was going to be a soccer player, and uh, yeah. his nurse came in after he was born and said, Honey, I've been doing this 35 years, and I have never met a baby this angry, which is always what a first-time mom wants to hear. Oh, my um, gosh, and immediately when you haven't even immediately. had a yeah. minute. <laughs> and he just cried all day and all night, and we went to several doctors, but nobody could tell us what was wrong. And when he was about 18 months old, my husband left. So there I was, the single mom, um, in consulting career, um, a really cranky baby, and things continued to escalate. And when he was three years old, he tried to kill me with a pair of scissors. Um, by four, he was on his first antipsychotic. Uh, and then he was hospitalized at his first inpatient psychiatric treatment center, uh, when he was uh, seven years old, and I lived with my now husband uh, at the Ronald McDonald House while he underwent treatment for two months. And that's the beginning of our journey. <laughs> well, and the, the, the end of trying to tough it out, I guess, and the beginning of really coming to terms with what was going on with him, maybe. 
Um, well, I didn't know. That's how it kind of started. It's interesting. You know, I didn't know what was wrong, and nobody could tell me. Nutritionists, psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists, acupuncturists, spiritual healers. I went to everybody. And you seem like an action-oriented me. person. So I, I'm not, I am very I'm much so. And so, <laughs> so I was speaking to all kinds of groups, and I started talking about Evan so that I could find help. I, and it was kind of a selfish way to use the time, but I was just basically sharing some of the the challenges that I was going through because I was so lost. And, you know, everybody's got an opinion and you should try this and you should try this. And I've spent the last 16 years trying this and that. Evan is now 16 years old. So it's definitely been a journey. But what ended up happening is that when I would talk about him, people would come up to me at the end of a, a speech or a class and they'd say, the content's really good, but thank you so much for sharing your story. My nephew or my son or daughter or my neighbor you know, has a child with some similar issues and it's so nice to know that we're not alone and it's inspiring knowing that you're getting up here and doing it anyway. And trust me, there are plenty of times where I came off the stage, you know, went and cried because I just got a horrible text about something that happened with Evan. But um, it really, the the fact that it was making a difference for people um, and having a meaning for them was really important to me. And so it started my journey on resilience and really trying to figure out what makes some people able to get through just incredibly difficult times and and rise up stronger and other people go through really difficult times and become a victim of it. And so I just threw myself into the research and uh, really just geeked out over the brain science and and what we know now about stress and and the way our body works and the way our brain works um, and that we can proactively build these skills so that we have them when we need them the most. One thing that really stood out to me is uh, a kind of compassionate attitude about how hard it is to make those changes. You know, your first book is kind of a a strategy a week, I guess I'd say. And, you know, we we ought to be all remade by the end of a year. But you and I both know (laughs) that it doesn't work quite that way. Um, But that behavior change is incredibly challenging. And and so... You know, it's like New Year's resolutions when people try to, you know, end of December, I'm going to be a better friend and eat better and work out and go to church and stop swearing. And then by, you know, January 15th, you have a beer in one hand, a cheeseburger in the other. You went to the gym. That hurt. Why would I do that again? And we just kind of And not to mention you're exhausted. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's about creating new habits slowly and and consistently. In that regard, I liked where the book started that you talked about slight edge changes. Could you could you share that with people, what a slight edge change is? Sure. Um, you know, a slight edge, many people think that the best way to make a shift in my life is to make a dramatic change. And what the research tells us and what we know about the brain and habit formation is that typically it's the subtle changes made consistently over a long period of time that bring the biggest results. So you, know, you might have a golf round where, or a golf game where the, the winning, the, the first place winner only scored one shot less than the other, but it's that one shot that made the difference. Or it could be, um, you know, basically the, the one thing, if you do something every single day, making subtle changes to improve yourself, you'll have back steps, you'll have bad days because we're human and we do. But making subtle slight edge changes will bring greater results than making a giant change one time. You know, one thing that that, uh, always stands out to me in my own work, I'm a counselor, so I'm more a a one-on-one than than a, a big organization type worker. Um, Mm. But when people have that bad day or have that return to a less uh, helpful way of thinking or, you know, they'll kind of jump to the conclusion that that means they've made no progress. Uh And uh, I find myself talking a lot about what causes the brain to jump back to old habits and that resilience is really about saying, oh, yeah, that happens. How do I get back? Uh, exactly. But I find that that very, very hard for people to do, 
Do you find that in organizations too, when you're trying to guide them to a change? That absolutely, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And how how do you work with that with the whole constellation of people? <laughs> well, um, first, I would say I often think of progress as kind of like when you're downloading something and you see the progress bar, and it's like it. 2% forever and you wonder if it's really downloading and then all of a sudden it's at 20% and you wait forever and then all of a sudden it's like at 99% mm-hmm. and ch- changes the same way. It's sometimes really disheartening when you don't see immediate progress and we've become so accustomed to instant gratification that sometimes the ability to be patient is the skill to focus on, and I know for me that's a hard one. When it's organization-wide and you're trying to get everybody in the right direction, it's typically like trying to herd cats into an elevator. You know, everybody's got their <laughs> own priorities, agendas, um, personal struggles, professional goals, and so what I find is it really getting clear on what success looks like is the first step. Most of us just kind of go, well, I'll know it when I see it, or we land somewhere and draw a bullseye around ourselves and go, I guess this is where I was supposed to be. But it's taking time to really get clear on what success looks like and then being strategic and deliberate about the things that will make that happen and really just reverse engineering it. You know, you you made me think of my kids a fair amount. Uh, I have three Uh, But I was contrasting in my mind the oldest and the youngest. Uh, The oldest is kind of what you'd call, uh, she was always kind of an easy kid. Um, You know, you could always say, would you like red or blue? And she'd pick red or blue, (laughs) but she'd pick one, you know, and... um, Uh, she liked approval, so she'd kind of go along with things, you know, we had to work on making her stand up for herself, and, you know, and did I feel like a good parent? Uh, The third (laughs) child is a creative type, kind of out of the box. Um, If the adult wasn't doing their job, she'd step in and do it for them, you know, (laughs) kind of a a more challenging personality. And uh, I, I, think about that in terms of how personally we take uh, the way other people behave. Because if I hadn't had the first one, I think I would have interpreted what was going on with the third one much, much differently. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, Very true. Uh, I, I would have thought I was doing something wrong, you know, not just that I could improve, but that I was actually doing it wrong, which I never thought. I just thought, wow, this is challenging. I'm not sure how to handle it. <laughs> you know? um, so For I me, wonder- it was always feeling like I was failing because I didn't have another child at the time to compare against. And so I was constantly told by doctors and caregivers and Everybody, even my family, you know, Anne, if you were just more consistent, if you would just, you know, be a better disciplinarian, Evan would be fine. And so I think sometimes we don't mean to, but we discount what people are going through and put it back on them when in reality I spent so much time feeling like an absolute utter failure as a mom um, without, I mean, it's literally taken me Till now, to hear doctors say that there is nothing you could have done differently to have a better outcome. Like everything you did was everything you could do, and so it's it's for you. It was like, oh, okay, this is a, a different type of kid, but I already know I can make an okay one. <laughs> for me, it was like <laughs> I, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I mean, maybe there were a few stray terrible days in there, but she's she's twenty six <laughs> now, you know. <laughs> Right. I see that it all came out okay, but yeah, I think that is that's a challenge in organizations too. People blame themselves or they blame the other people, yep, uh, exactly. you know, and and don't take seriously the complications of of relating. Uh, it's a very complicated process, and I think you you seem to recognize that in your book. Well, you know, whether it's building resilience individually as a team or as an organization, many of the same skills, behaviors, and habits translate. And so it really is 
biting them off you know, one at a time because if you try to institute all of these things, then nothing will change. You'll be completely overwhelmed and you'll revert right back to old behavior. One of the other uh, phrases that you uh, had in your first book, and we will move on to talking about your second in, in a little bit, but uh, one of your 52 chapters was Stop Renting, uh, <laughs> which I really enjoyed. Um, the analogy being when we're away on holiday and we don't care about cleaning up because, of course, we're not staying. <laughs> right. Can you talk a little more about uh, where the you know, how you, how you see us kind of renting our lives? I think it's very easy for us to play the victim. Um, I, I think it's not a personal judgment. It's just a fact. It's easier to blame other situations and circumstances for where you are. And taking ownership of knowing, look, I might not have created this. It's not ideal, but it is what it is. Now, what do I need to do to own it? And it's also not giving people, giving away your mental real estate. So letting, you know, I, I often joke, other people's opinions are none of your business. <laughs> um, we, we get so focused on what people are doing to us that we forget that we are in control of our life and we get to choose if we want to live it deliberately or reactively. And choosing to be your choosing to take ownership doesn't mean everything bad in your life is your fault, but it does mean it's your responsibility. The way I find that coming out in my work a lot is uh, when someone is, you know, sure that the other person is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself saying, well, maybe they're 95% of the problem, but the part you have anything to say about is the 5%. Exactly. <laughs> that's know? a great way to look at it. Yeah, for sure. You might be perfectly right that it's mostly them, but still, <laughs> well, and this one, what we could do with your, your part. <laughs> well, and I love this saying, you know, is my goal to be right or get it right? Because I think sometimes we're so busy, our ego gets so involved that instead of focusing on the outcome, we're focused on how we get there. Um, it, it could be as simple as an email. You know, most of us have taken time to like really think out an email and, and think about questions people might ask and anticipate what people would want to know and really time, put time and effort into answering all of those questions proactively only to have somebody ask you a question immediately after. And, you know, if you're anything like me, our natural tendency is to go to our sent folder, forward the message, and say something like, as per my original email, (laughs) but (laughs) we've all been on the receiving end of that, and we feel stupid and embarrassed. And so if your goal is to make sure communication is taking place, you didn't reach that. If your goal was making the person feel embarrassed, well, then mission accomplished. Are you trying to be right or get it right? Yes. Yes. Um, So I'm aware that uh, we're about to go to a break, but uh, I'm aware that a big uh, challenge to your resilience happened again between (laughs) uh, basically between book one and book two. And I was very interested in the differences I saw in book two. When we come back from the break, I'd love to talk about that and and kind of uh, because just just because we've gained these skills doesn't mean that further things don't teach us something new. Um, So I'd love to talk about that when we get back. Absolutely. And listeners, you can find links to my website, social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. I have a link to my novel there too, uh, An Ocean Between Them, which is definitely about healing and resilience and forgiveness. Uh, And to find Anne Grady, you can go to anngradygroup.com, A-N-N-E-G-R-A-D-Y group.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Anne Grady about her work with resilience and her books, 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work, and Strong Enough. And before the, the break, Anne, I was mentioning that uh, having read both the books, which are about the same subject, re- uh, resilience and how to develop it and cultivate it and change strategies for personal and work and love lives, uh, but it seemed to me that something something was uh, that something further had developed by book two, and I know part of that uh, relates to further experiences that that challenged you. Uh, could you just lay that out a bit for people? Yeah, and I, I talk about this in my in my TEDx talk as well. Um, so when Evan was ten, we had to hospitalize him again. And this time I had, it was 2014, I had to go give a keynote speech in Iowa and I was at the Austin airport and I was just exhausted and I had a migraine. So I swore I'd never go to those really expensive chair massage places but hurt so bad that I did it anyway. Long story short, the massage therapist felt so bad because I was crying that she offered to come to my house and give me a 90-minute massage, her treat. She had a son with a with. <laughs> Yeah, with similar situations. So if you're ever in the Austin airport, you should cry uncontrollably and ask for Becky. Um, (laughs) But Becky came to my house, gave me a great interview, and found what she thought was a swollen lymph node behind my right ear. It turned out to be a tumor in my salivary gland that was much larger than anticipated, um, the size of a small avocado, and it resulted in the right side of my face being completely paralyzed. And so a couple of days after the surgery, I scratched my cornea because I couldn't close my eye, um, which led to eye surgery, putting a gold weight into my upper eyelid and stitching up my bottom eyelid before starting six weeks of radiation. In the interim, though, between the eye surgery and the radiation, I fell down a flight of stairs and broke my foot in four places (laughs) because I had no depth perception. Um, So it was another interesting opportunity to to practice. And between those two things, my husband was in a horrible motorcycle accident. Um, And luckily he's okay, but it was one of those things where it's like, really? Are you sure? I think you have too much confidence in me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, in fact, I'm not strong enough. (laughs) Uh, There were, there were days, there were days that I, I did not feel strong enough for sure. And and maybe that's a, a good point to highlight that some days we're not strong enough, and we're and those are the days to to quit for the day, but not to quit forever. Uh, I well, know. There's I think th- I, I don't think that's true. I I think that we are strong enough. A lot of people say I'm not strong. You're strong enough because you're still standing here. Like whatever you have been through to this point, you're still here meaning that you have every bit of strength you need. It's just a matter of believing it. And so that's really where my my research came in because I I wanted to truly believe it. And so do you do you think because uh what what I was trying to say there is uh 
I have to recognize when I need a break. It doesn't mean that, to me anyway, that I'm not ultimately strong enough. I'm strong enough. Uh, but I don't, one of my strategies to maintain that is to rest, take breaks, uh, say not today. Do you think that's useful? On, on a particular day, not as an overall strategy, obviously, but on a particular no, day. I, absolutely. And I think, you know, self-care and self-compassion are at the root of resilience. You cannot do for others when you are not caring for you. And people kept telling me to take care of myself and I thought, and to take breaks. And I thought, I, I literally don't have time. My son is constantly, you know, physically abusing me. I was not safe. I was exhausted. I was running a business. I got remarried and have a beautiful stepdaughter. And and so what I, I realized is that even if you can't, you have to find a way to make yourself a priority and and take those breaks that you need. So even before we could afford it, I would pay for a caregiver to come over just for a couple of hours so I could take a much-needed break and, and really just collect my thoughts. We think we're going to just power through and I'll sleep when I'm dead, but what we end up doing is eroding that you know resilience bank account that we have, and then we're just left empty. So absolutely, you have to do that. You know, I, I'm remembering someone who was in my uh, uh, parent group when I had my first child, so that was almost 39 years ago, and oh, wow. uh, she had her her baby. I was at the end of the road, so a lot of people had their babies before I had mine. Um, we came together as a bunch of pregnant women, and um, so she had her baby, and her baby cried literally all the time. And every week she would come more and more exhausted. She was a single parent on purpose. Uh, and she had taken this long break from work to bond with her child. And about a month and a half in, she said, I'm going back to work. <laughs> and we were all like, you're putting work on top of this? <laughs> but it was what she felt she needed to do. So she found good child care, and she went to work. And when she came the next time, she was happier. And so was her son. Just oh, for their particular great. dynamic... It worked better to have some space away where they could kind of both re, re, uh, readjust, re-up, and uh, that did it for them. Isn't that a curious story? But um, So that has something to do with listening to what we need. For that particular pair, 24-7 was too much, too much time. Yep. <laughs> well, and as a society, we condition moms to think that good moms want to be home with their babies. And I think it takes a really special person to stay at home, and and not everybody can do that, and it doesn't mean you don't love your child. Um, You know, I think we're so quick to judge everybody on what they're doing as if we are the gold standard. And, you know, I, I had to go back to work because work was my saving grace. It was the thing that allowed me to use my strengths and allowed me to tap into my brain and, and not just constantly feel like inadequate. It's it, it's an interesting phenomenon now because um, I, 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 I've raised daughters, right? And I, I raised them to follow their passions and their dreams and also to care about relationships. And, and it does create quite a... a forced to be reckoned with to be trying to do all that at once uh, but I wouldn't say any of them would be happy just doing the relationship part or just doing the passion part they they do need both and that seems more and more common wouldn't you say oh yeah yeah and I, I think I think it, I think we can get caught up in semantics sometimes. Like I hear so many people say, find your passion, follow your passion. And most people I know are like, well, what the heck is my passion? I I don't know what my passion is. And it's not that there is one. It doesn't have to be something where you wake up in the morning and you just 
know exactly what you were destined to do, sometimes it's trial and error, but it's a combination of cultivating the relationships that will help you improve as a person, of taking time for you and caring for yourself and continuing to explore things that you enjoy. Um, You know, I think there are, I think sometimes we do people a disservice when we say everybody has a passion. Mm, Uh, Yes, for sure, for sure. Not for some, you know, not as a career passion. Maybe they have a, a passion for learning. Awesome. We can find a way to put you in a career where you are in a continuous learner. But um, I think sometimes by saying, like, well, what's your passion? <laughs> that people right. feel like, well, what's wrong with me? I should have something. Well, also, we, we have to, I, at least I feel compelled to mention class here because um, passion is, you know, following your passion, getting educated for your passion, all of that um, is a choice that not everybody feels they have economically. And, uh, but there's still kind of, uh, what what jibes with you, okay, or what makes for your better life, I guess. Um, so I'm more I'm more thinking of that. Well, and sometimes you have to sacrifice to chase it. So I wanted to be a professional speaker, but I didn't have enough money to do that. So on top of my full time job, I started speaking for free any place people would have me. It could be. Um, you know, a, a lunch meeting for an HR group, or it, it could be a chamber of commerce somewhere in the middle of Podunk, Texas, that nobody's ever heard of that took me five hours to get to. Um, and so it, it's not just enough to have it, it's truly doing what it takes to create the opportunities you want. Mm. And not everybody has equal access to those opportunities. But everybody has some level of control over how they live their life and what they accept and allow. I think we might be kind of uh, circling back to slight, slight edge changes. Uh, what are the small things you can do to make your life a little more as you would like that, that are under your control? But right. the other thing I, I noticed between book one and book two and and this may not be accurate, but it it seemed true to me that um, your sense of humor uh, really caught fire somewhere in that process. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I'm projecting because I know the worst. You know, when my when my uh, wife was sick for ten years, somewhere along the line, it, it all got pretty funny. Uh, you know, way before she died, it went from panic to this is hysterical. I mean, who could have invented this kind of thing? But exactly. is that true for you? That, well, they that, say that, um, they say comedy is tragedy plus time. Um, and you know, I went from being so focused on what everyone would think of me using my natural humor and thought I should be so serious. And after you have a giant tumor in your face and, and your your face is paralyzed, which it did come back, thank goodness, by the way, but once you're in that situation, you're like, I got to be able to laugh at it because if you can't laugh at it, then you've got nothing. So a resilience building strategy is humor. Incorporate humor into your life, even if you have to laugh at yourself. But I listen to the comedy channel. I watch comedy specials on Netflix. I'm constantly proactively making opportunities to laugh because it is so healing. Indeed. We go, we go out to comedy a lot. There's a, a ongoing comedy series here called uh, something like Funny Comedians Who Also Happen to Be Women or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a whole night of different comics. And, you oh, know, cool. Some we love better than others, but uh, yes, it's so refreshing to to laugh full out like that. Movies yeah. aren't as funny as they used to be, I feel, but <laughs> but uh, comedians are still quite funny often. So I'm I'm in complete agreement. Uh, I wasn't funny before. It sounds like you were, but you didn't give it much permission. You know, I think I've always had kind of a quick wit. Um, but it's never something that I intentionally practiced. Uh, I, I think it probably is a self-defense mechanism from my childhood maybe, but 
I finally got to a point in my career where it's like, look, you're going to like me or you're not, but I'm going to be me. And me has a warped sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. I'm, re- yep. I'm remembering uh, uh, Brene Brown, who got body shamed after her first TEDx talk. And, and the second one, she was talking about how that liberated her. That kind of the worst thing she'd ever imagined, the thing that she ran from, happened and yep. then she and then she woke up the next morning you know i i love that um that story because it's true that sometimes things we would avoid like the plague when they come along all you can do is kind of see the humor in it at a certain point well and i love the name of your show because it's exactly what you're advocating and teaching so many people you know, really bad stuff happens to good people, but you can find goodness in it. And that's in it of itself a resilience building strategy. People who are able to look at their failures, their obstacles, their adversity, and find meaning in it have a tendency to grow stronger as a result. So did I want to have a mentally ill child? Absolutely not. Do I, do I want Evan to have the life he has because it's so much harder than it has to be? Of course not. But it's given me a platform to speak about mental health. You know, a portion of all my book proceeds go to the National Alliance on Mental Illness in Central Texas. Um, I'm a huge advocate for mental health because it, it's, it's discrimination just like any other. People just don't realize that. So is it the situation I would have asked for? No. Am I able to take it and do something with it and make a difference? I hope so. Yes. I guess another point of my my show is keep that as a uh, as an intention over time. And it doesn't have to happen immediately. Grief can happen and then it eventually, you know, you're a f- pretty fast mover, it seems to me. Uh, and, you're, and you've practiced this. I, I find I'm much more able to move fast through all kinds of loss and grief now than I was originally. Uh, but, you know, most people do eventually feel they've grown and that they have something to offer. Yep. So your second book, uh, the first book, of course, is 52 chapters with all different skills. And the third, I would I would say, really pulls that together into these three strong areas, courage, resiliency and triumph. Um, We're just going to get started because our second break is coming in a couple of minutes. But, uh, you know, that that does capture a lot for me. Um, but I wonder if you could let's let's start by talking about courage, which we already have been in a way, uh, which is the ability to keep going and trying in fearful situations. In a sense, is there more you'd like to say about the courage part of the of the picture? Just that there are different kinds of courage. So you could be really courageous when it comes to physical activity or extreme sports, but afraid to fall in love. Or you could be really vulnerable and courageous about falling in love, but you might be terrified of something that most people aren't. And so it's not judging yourself courageous or not. My favorite quote in the entire world is, well, I have two of them, but one of them is by Marianne Rademacher. And she she said, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I'll try again tomorrow. And that's the definition that stuck with me because a lot of times people think, I'm not courageous, I'm scared. Well, that's exactly why you're courageous because you keep going. Stephen Levine, who I spent a lot of time with when my wife was sick, um, he, he used to to say, if you're not afraid, it's not courage, it's foolhardiness. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I love it. So I, I've kept that quote in my in my head for many decades now. Um, I love so it. we'll come we'll come back uh, afterwards, maybe finish up courage and move to to uh, resilience as a category. There's all these different ways to build it, but let's talk about how you how you think about resilience and um, see where we go with that. 
And listeners, you can... Listeners, you can find links to my website and no social media um, at the Good Grief page at Voice America. My website is uh, weatheringgrief.com. To find Ann Grady, you can go to www.anngradygroup.com. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent. Inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Ann Grady talking about her work with resilience and her book's 52 Strategies for Life, Love, and Work, and Strong Enough. Um, So we were talking about courage before the break. Uh, You know, I I agree with you wholeheartedly that we tend to uh, look at the areas where we're not courageous and focus on those and be a little little less good at identifying where we are courageous. so part of having courage, would you say, is uh, acknowledging where we are already courageous? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't think we do enough to celebrate the stuff we get right. We're very quick to move on to the next thing. And if there are areas of your life where, like, I mean, it could be something so silly. Like this morning, my neighbor asked me to work out. Well, I'm not super athletic, and I was nervous about it because I didn't. I didn't. She works out all the time, and I was like, oh, "Am I going to be athletic enough? Am I going to look like a moron?" I did it anyway because the fear was what let me know it was the right thing, you know. And huh. it ended up really going great. So, I think it's. It, I love your your friend's quote: "If you're not afraid, it's not courage. Um, if it comes super easy for you, then." celebrate it, enjoy it, appreciate the fact that you are bold and brave in that area. But when it comes to places that you're not, be kind to yourself and have compassion and talk to yourself like you would talk to your best friend. We, we say things to ourselves that we would never say to anybody else. Um, and, and Absolutely. So being and kind. So, so that's an interesting juxtaposition just, just, with resilience because uh, Resilience says, you know, keep going, keep trying. But I think maybe there also has to be a voice that says, it's okay if you can't do it right now. You know, a a kind of gentle voice 
uh, and putting those two together, can you can you say how you how you look at that? Because uh, well, I've I've noticed in in my counseling work, for instance, uh, forced change doesn't tend to hold up. Right, right. You know, I I think there's a I think it's a distinction between grit and resilience. You know, grit is just kind of this mad perseverance, being so focused on a goal and an outcome that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Resilience is you're going to hit bumps along the way. Can you get back up? And can you go back up stronger? And I think there are absolutely times where you don't want to, you shouldn't keep pushing. You should be kind to yourself. The, the idea of resilience and all of these strategies is that you pull from this toolkit when you need it. So, and one of, you know, one of the tools is really self-care, really taking time for you. And if you're exhausted and you feel overwhelmed, it's not the time to make big decisions. It's not the time to beat yourself up for not getting everything on your to-do list done. It's time to really give yourself grace. So the third part of your book is called Triumph. And I know by that you don't mean... um, What's what some people in in my world called call H E A happily ever after? <laughs> I, I talk about that. <laughs> in fact, um, I was I was at a book conference and people were saying I don't like to read books unless they have an H E A, and it took me a while to figure out. Oh, <laughs> happily ever after. <laughs> but um, how do you define triumph? When we are triumphant, what what does that refer to? Well, so let me answer this in two parts. The first is the happily ever after. I, you know, I think we, again, do ourselves such a disservice because you go through your childhood believing this happily ever after and then you're an adult and you lose a job or a loved one or you get sick or you have a sick kid or something horrible happens and then you think, well, I screwed this up. You know, one of the things that I consider triumph is knowing that happiness isn't a constant state. It happens in micro moments and savoring those, I call them delicious moments, is really giving yourself permission to enjoy those and savor them. There's something called experiential dependent neuroplasticity. Rick Hansen uh, is a phenomenal resilience expert and Basically, you know, our brain is wired to be negative. It's a protection mechanism. And if we're not deliberate about overcorrecting, then we just kind of see the world through a pessimistic, you know, I kind of call them crap-colored glasses. We just see the world differently. Uh, Experience-dependent neuroplasticity means that when you're experiencing a moment that is great, a belly laugh, the first sip of coffee, a hug, um, a good conversation, a good book, whatever it is, really sitting in that and feeling that. And so for me, we've lost our guest just momentarily. Hopefully we will get her back any moment. We're going to cut out for just a few minutes and we'll be back as soon as we have our guest back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. And in these last few minutes that we have, I'd like to take a forward look. We've talked about courage, resilience, and triumph, and those all being things that we can carry with us to get as far as possible in any given (laughs) given day and take the best possible care of ourselves. I know that you're working on a third book. Uh, You're working on a book about the science of resilience. Would you like to share a bit about that? Oh, sure. So, The book is called Mind Over Moment, The Science of Resilience, and it's being, the gist is, you get to choose the life you want, and you're in charge of creating it by being deliberate about your choices, your habits, and your skills. And I find that so often we react our way through life and are frustrated by it without doing anything to change it. So it's understanding how you can use your brain and, and the science behind resilience to craft the life you truly deserve. I, I, I uh, of course, am exposed to a lot of, of science around um, brain neuroplasticity, and it's hard to be a therapist these days and not run across that a whole bunch. And mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's very helpful uh in terms of people believing in change, uh, because one thing that I think is really hard for us as human beings is uh, taking seriously our capacity for change. You know, there's all this message out there, like we're kind of set in stone and we're going to be how we're going to be forever. Uh, so I love that there's so much out there about uh, the ways that that is just simply not true. Right, and and the idea of the growth mindset, you know, from Carol Dweck, that you, if you are, believe that you are fixed, that you are who you are going to be, you miss out on all of these incredible opportunities for growth. And people who embrace challenge, even failure, people that dig into the tough stuff, um, those are the people who tend to be happier, more successful, more optimistic. They have better relationships. They've even been proven to make more money. Um, so it's, it's constantly pushing yourself. It doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy being comfortable once in a while, but it means that if you truly want to grow, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, the paradox in that is the thing that changed me the, the most is something at first only terrible, my wife's illness, uh, that I couldn't, um, I, I couldn't get out of, you know. So choosing to do that when something terrible hasn't happened, we're going to have to leave that there. But I think that's the horizon. How do, how do we take advantage of smaller um, bad things to build that up? So when the big ones come along, we've already got it. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, that's and that's the challenge, yourself- isn't it? <laughs> Well, and I'm sorry for your loss. It's just giving yourself permission to be human. Nobody has it all figured out. It's isn't one that, day at a time. Isn't that true? It's a good place to end for the day. Thanks so much for being with me. Oh, Cheryl, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Again, you can find Ann Grady at com. Next week, I'll have Karen Stefano to talk about her book, What a Body Remembers, a memoir of sexual assault and its aftermath. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.